Well, Crystal Jones uh, was a, she became a teacher through uh, Teach for America. Uh, she was a volunteer, and this, this group kind of gives volunteer opportunities, and a lot of times it's in lower economic places in the U.S. to be able to jump in and help. And so when she decided to volunteer, uh, she kind of waited to see where they would place her, and she ended up in Atlanta, Georgia, and she ended up in a first grade class. And as she gets to this first grade class, she realizes this school does not have kindergarten. So she's getting kids fresh. And so we have a bunch of teachers out here, and I'm so thankful for you because there's no way I can do this job. Um, teaching kids, some of these kids, I mean, they, some kids you get, I, I'm sure some of you know, you, you get these kids coming in, they can read, you know, cat, dog, simple words, go. Um, and other kids could not tell you what the letters of the alphabet are. And so you've got this wide range of kids, and you've got to somehow get them all on the same track. And so Crystal is, is kind of trying to figure this out, like how, how do I get all these kids motivated to get on the same track and learn and progress? And so she's out on the playground with these kids and it's first through third grade outside and she's going, what do I do? How do I get them motivated? So she's, these kids out on the playground, first graders through third graders, what do you think all these kids want to be? They're first graders on the playground with first through third graders, who do they idolize and want to be? The third graders, right? Third graders are bigger, they're faster, they can do all the things that you can't do yet because they're just too small. So these kids are just like, oh, the third graders, they're just so amazing, like I just want to be a third grader. And so she had this idea, she, so she sat her class down, she told them before June, I'm going to turn you into third graders. And they're like, what? A third grader, me? Like, yeah, yeah, through the course of this year, I'm going to teach you to be a third grader. And they're like, okay. She's like, well, third graders are fast, aren't they? Yeah, they're fast. Can't keep up with them on the playground. They're like, I'm going to turn you into a third grader. Third graders, they can read really well. I can't, I can't even do that. I'm going to turn you into a third grader. They're like, okay, yeah. Like, they're starting to get pumped, like ready to, they want to be a third grader. She said by October, she knew she had them hooked. There were kids that had to like have a day off for school. They had a doctor's appointment. And they were, they were like, I can't miss a day of school. Like, she's turning us into third graders. What if it happens today and I'm gone? Like, I've, I've got to be there. I'm, I'm, I want to be a third grader. And come around to, she even did this other little thing. She, she did not refer to them by first names. So she'd call them scholar and then use their last name. So everybody referred to each other as scholar Jones, scholar Smith. It was, I mean, I mean they were buying into this. I mean, they are, they love to learn. And, and, and they just, they were going to be scholars. And so they, this kind of standard was being set. They are going to become third graders. So March comes around and they have this standardized test that they have to take for reading comprehension. And by March, all of them pass first grade. Every single student passes first grade. And the amazing thing is, is it's because she set this environment up so that these, these kids would know what's coming, they, that they are going to be turned into third graders, that they, they love to learn. And, and they had this enthusiasm about learning. See, what, what Crystal did not do is she did not start and say, well, I don't, this is your starting point. I don't know if you're, we're going to have to do extra stuff. She just set the standard right away. This is where we're headed, and we're all going to go there. And, and together as a whole, they moved toward that. And so I just love that. We're going to make you into third graders. That's not what I'm here to do today, make you into third graders. But I think through what we've been learning about through the book of Ephesians, there, there's this standard that's being set that we understand that who we are, our identity, 
See, that's what was happening there. Is their identity was being changed from a first to a third grader. They were thinking already, this is who I'm going to be. This is where I'm headed. We're learning about our identity in Christ, that we are a new creation, that we are sons and daughters adopted in as Christ's own family. So we're no longer bound to sin, but we have freedom in Christ. And so when we look at this new identity that we've been learning about in the first three chapters of Ephesians, we're kind of taking a corner to, to being much more practical because of this new identity and how it shapes the way that we live because we are now in Christ. So before we dive into Ephesians chapter 4, let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you that we have this identity change because you have, you have done something inside of us that you've made us a new creation. And I ask that you just open up our eyes and our ears this morning, not to my words, but to yours. Help us to grow toward you and your love, and that we would become really what you've set us out to be, this new creation in you. God, we love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're, we're looking at all of Ephesians 4. We're going to really focus in on the back half of this chapter. But really, it starts out with Paul urging them to walk in a manner worthy of this calling. And this word worthy is axios, which, which it means to be of equal weights, which I think is worth pointing out as we turn this corner that we've learned a lot about the truths of our identity on the first half, but yet the second half is about how do we live out this identity. And it needs to be of equal weights, that we can't just have added knowledge to what we know without living it out because it puts us out of balance. And so we're looking at this, living this out, that we've been called to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And so he lays this out of, of who they're supposed to be. And he uses a lot of words that were very countercultural for them. They were looking at words like humility, gentleness, patience, and love. And that went against everything that they knew. Because if you wanted to be somebody of power, somebody upstanding, you need to, you need to be sure of yourself. You need to be proud of yourself. And so when they use words like humility, that's, that's words for slaves. That's not words for somebody that, that knows what they're doing and that wants to hold themselves upright but he's calling them to be humble and gentle. And so we're to live this life differently, not just the way that culture tells us around us to live, but we're living this for the way that Christ has called us to live. So then God graciously gives us talents and callings, and he gives us work to serve and build up the church, and the goal of this calling is unity through our giftedness. So we all have different talents in this room, and it's, it's a beautiful thing to watch it all come together and see what we can do together, because it's far more than what we can do on our own. We're supposed to be equipping for the saints, for the work of ministry. We're, we're being equipped to, to walk toward this maturity so that we don't just flail around as everything comes, as the wind blows and everything, we're not to just flail around, but we're to stand firm in Christ. And so we're going to be looking kind of at this turning point of what it looks like in the book of Ephesians to live out this identity in Christ. So we're going to start uh, Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. If you have your Bibles with you or your Bible app, we're going to be diving in. Ephesians 4, 17. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. In the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardness of their heart. They've become callous and they've given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to every practice of every kind of impurity. And that is not the way that you learn Christ. 
assuming that you've already heard about him and you were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and that's corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So this is where we really read through Ephesians and we're, we're gathering lots of information, but again, this cannot tip the scales of, of the knowledge we know and what we're living out. So we're looking at what is our identity in Christ? What makes you who you are and what do you live out because of who you are? So we're gonna look at these kind of three points that, that I've pulled out because that's what every good sermon has is three points, right? So um, three points, I guess, to, to, to look at through this passage. And two of them we really have to, to, to initiate and take on, but the third one is kind of allowing God to do within us something as we grow in our spiritual maturity. So the, we kind of start verse 17 as, as he says, I testify or insist in the Lord that you no longer walk as the Gentiles do. And this kind of throws you off because I was pretty sure when we started this whole series, I thought we were talking to the Gentiles. And now he's saying, don't, don't walk, no longer walk as the Gentiles do. But I was pretty sure when we started, he was addressing the Gentiles. But really, Paul is making this shift here that, that you may have been born a Gentile, but you've been brought in. And your identity is changing, that you are no longer a Gentile, but you are in Christ. You are part of the family of Christ. You're not an outsider. You are in with God. And so this former state of being a Gentile, which you lived before, it's not all about the behavior, because too often we can just try to, to change behavior. We, we can kind of drill this in your head that you have to act a certain way. Most of us from our own childhood know that we can live one way at school, and you can live one way at home, right? That mom and dad, if find out about how you live at school with all your friends, would kill you, right? Um, we, we can live different lives according to where we are, but really this is saying it's not who you are. Your, your, your behavior ought to be what flows out of your heart. This, this is about talking about the true character within you. The identity is what makes, makes up who you are, and who you are in the deepest sense changes your actions and how you live that out. So this former state that you lived in was darkened in understanding and had become calloused. So when I was in high school, I decided that I would learn to play the guitar because I saw a college, see this is the whole third grade thing again, I saw a college student as a high schooler and I'm like, oh, wow. Um, but he played guitar and he played worship music wherever he went and I thought, man, that would be so cool. I wanna learn to play guitar. So I went to the closet, grabbed my dad's guitar and I found four chords because that's all you need on a guitar. And, and I, I played those four chords over and over and over and over and over until my parents were probably sick and tired of it, and I thought my fingers would just fall off. Um, if you've learned to play guitar, you know the pain. Um, I, I practiced a lot of hours, day one and two. I ended up with blisters on my fingertips because your fingertips are not meant to be pressing on these thin metal strings. Like, it hurts until you build up calluses, which takes a lot more than two days and hours of practice, as much as you'd love to think it. But I decided that that's what I wanted to do, is to, to play guitar, and so I had to build up these calluses on my finger. But really what that does is it, it takes away sensitivity. And so now my fingertips no longer are sensitive to those feelings because they're calloused. And we can become calloused in our own hearts in that we, we no longer feel sin. We no longer feel shame for the things that we 
may do in our lives. We become hardened, desensitized to sin and evil around us. So for playing guitar, calluses are great. In your spiritual walk, allowing yourself to become hardened and calloused is not a good thing. So instead, we're, we're supposed to be living our lives for God and, and receptive to what he has for us. So the very first thing he asks us to do, this is, this is kind of where we start for our three points, is to put off the old self, as verse 22 says, to put off the old self, which belongs to your former manner of life, and it's corrupt through its deceitful desires. So this, this putting off of the old self really is the same talk of to, to remove an article of clothing, right? To, to take off, to take this off and put off. Like we've had all of our leaves falling off our trees. So I decided the other day I would go and mulch and mow and do all this yard work. And I came in a dusty, filthy mess. And my allergies knew it for sure. And like I came in the door, I'm like, I'm going to shower. I need to get this dust dirt off of me because I was, I could feel it like crawling on me. But it's like, but this old self that I'm taking off and then I clean myself off, do I go back and put those clothes back on? No. Like that seems ridiculous. Like I've had kids in my house that after bathing, they come back in. I'm like, weren't you wearing that before your bath? Yeah. Like, do you want to try new clothes maybe? Well, there's always some excuse, but how often do we, we just take ourselves back to that same point? We go, well, I've cleaned myself up, and then I go back to my old habits. I go back to the same old life that I was told to take off. This is something that we're not supposed to turn back to. It's to take off and never go back to again. Then it says that we were created in the likeness of God. And this is the, the exact same way it sounds in Genesis 1.26 when God was creating us. God said, let us make man in our own image after our likeness. See, we were created to be like God, to be an image bearer of God. And so when we're taking this, this old self off to allow ourselves to be that true image of God, it's, it's taking off that, that image, the old self that's marred by sin, that's, that's, that's broken, and then putting on something else instead. So, I thought this commentator, Tony Morita, he talked about this time that he, he would go, him and his wife were going to adopt four children. They were, they were going to an orphanage in Ukraine, and they went and spent 35 days, was how long this process took. So they go to Ukraine to adopt these four kids, 35 days to work through the legal paperwork and just the whole process of adoption. And for all 35 days, these kids that they were there to adopt never once changed clothes. They didn't own any other clothes. The shoes, everything they had was on their bodies, and they wore it for all 35 days. And so they have these kids that they're desperately wanting to care for, and they can't do a thing about it yet. And they just wear these clothes 35 days, and they're never to be cleaned up. On the day of adoption, they, they bring in these new clothes. They actually had to bring new clothes, because the orphanage said these were the clothes we gave them. When they leave, they won't take them. They're ours. These kids had nothing. So they took off their orphanage clothes and they got cleaned up and they put on new adopted clothes. They got to walk out a new person because they took off the old. And so when we turn to God, this should be the same thing that we look at is that, that we are taking off this old self to never go back to it. We never, are never going back to the orphanage again. Instead, we are adopted into sons and daughters and we put on these new clothes, adopted in as Je from Jesus and to live out this new life as a son and a daughter. So when we live out this new self, this 
putting off of the old and putting on the new, that can be kind of a, a faster thing, but there's something that has to change because we have to be renewed in our mind. And that's where we've skipped over verse 23 is that we have to be renewed in our mind. Then this renewal doesn't just happen quickly. And I want to be clear, what is the thing that you need to do to be renewed in your mind? Obviously, you need to come here every Sunday morning and listen to Dave, Justin, or I just give you some awesome sermon, right? That's, that's the way to solve this renewal. It's a good thing. Is that the only thing or the most important thing for you to do to renew your mind? No. The expectation is that you dive into God's word, that when you read God's word, you come with the expectation that God is going to speak to you through his word, that he is going to work on the things in your life because your life is different than mine, and God's going to work in your life differently than mine because we have a different old self, and we have different things to work through. So God's going to use his word. He's going to convict you of things, and he's going to grow you through his word. Romans 12.2 tells us, to not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That by the testing of your mind, you, you will dis, or by that testing, you may discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So by spending time in God's word, we listen better and we better understand what God's will is, what he wants for us in our lives and how we can be renewed. And then next, Paul gets really practical here. And this is where I squirm in my seat a little bit because it's like Paul gets very real. Like we, we like this part that we go, okay, take off the old, put on the new, renew it. Like I can know this in my mind. But then Paul gets kind of serious here and he starts kind of calling out some sins. And this is where we may not like this so much, but this is where this imbalance ends. We can't just allow this knowledge to enter us without there being a change of action. There has to be room in our lives to grow. And there, there's this list that Paul uses here in Ephesians is not an extensive list. I assume that this list is there because he knows of things that are going on because he has personal relationship with people in Ephesus. And he's telling them there's things that are happening that should not be. So this is when Paul comes to you and me and he, he climbs off the stage, he's done preaching, and he comes and sits down because I'm not gonna, I'm trying not to make eye contact with anybody because I'm like, I will never sit up front again. Um, but he sits down beside us and he goes, I know what you, I know some of the struggles that you have. I, I, I know we're, we're falling short. How are we going to work on that? We've got to take, take this and get rid of it and put on something new because we can't just sit here. And this is not in a judgmental way. It's a, I love you so much, I'm not going to leave you in this state. And so when, when we read through this list, don't just think that this is, Paul pointing fingers at you saying, shame on you. This is Paul sitting down with you in a loving way saying, I want to change you and help you be made new. So we're going to read through this list and we're going to look at some of these things that maybe we in our own lives need to change. And if some of these things are convicting, I hope that God's word is doing that convictions in you so that you can take off that old self, be renewed and put on this new self. So Ephesians continues on in verse 25 and it says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil, and let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk 
come out of your mouths. For, such, for only such is good for building up and as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, for whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. But let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. So he starts with this putting off the falsehood, but to put on truth. God's people are meant to be tellers of truth. We're to be telling the truth and, and we're to see that God, God's word and God hates lies. And let, let me tell you, first of all, too, that this list is, it should not be that, again, I'm, I'm up here making a list on, on, on the, the board or anything that's going to tell you, stop doing this. Let God's word convict you in your life and know God's truth and why we don't do these things. John 8, tells us that Satan was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character because he is a liar and the father of lies. So when we tell the truth, we imitate God. When we speak lies, we imitate Satan. The next thing it says is to put off anger. And instead, we're to, to, to deal with the reason for our anger. Now, we're, we're, never, we're not told to never get angry, right? That, that there, there is a time and a place for anger. We even see Jesus have righteous anger as he drives people out of the temple because they're taking what God had set as holy and they were defiling it. I don't want us to use that as an excuse to say this is righteous anger, but I think our hearts have to be molded to God's so that when something that makes God upset and makes God angry, it ought to make us angry. Ecclesiastes tells us that there is a time and a place for everything. And it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger, right? So start the timer. The sun sets early now, so get, get to work. Like, don't, don't let the sun set on your anger. I don't know that it means by sunset your anger has to be settled. There is a time and a place for it. But it says don't let it sit and linger. When you let that anger take root in your life, that anger is going to sit there and it's going to fester and it's going to become divisive. The anger that you, have, that you leave in your life, it turns to hatred, it divides family, friends, and it just breaks relationships. So instead, we dive in and we, we go to the person that we're angry with. We go to them and, and we work it out and we find resolution in our lives. The next thing it said was to put off stealing and, and, and put on this honest work. And as I read about this, I was finding that profit losses... Uh, across the board, 10% of profit loss is all due to clerical error. You know, you scan things and they scanned, scanned your items twice or didn't scan it as they put it in your bag. Um, clerical error, somehow 10% of all profit loss is from clerical error. 30% is from shoplifting. So people coming in intentionally taking. You've done the math already. 60% of that is theft by employees that they're somehow padding expenses, taking inadequate income taxes, we're borrowing things without returning them, and those things should not be. As a Christ follower, we ought to rise above the standard to do our work as if we do it for Christ and not for men. The next thing it says is to put off corrupt talk and put on this edifying talk. And this corrupt talk is more than just curse words or inappropriate jokes. 
Really, the word that it uses for corrupt talk is the word that literally means to rot, right? It's something that's going to break down and, and to cause decay. And so with our words, do we use words that break down, tear down, or just harsh? But with our words, slowly things are breaking down. Or do we use our words instead to build up, to encourage, to give strength to others? And this can be with a conversation with somebody present or with somebody about somebody that's not there. Is our talk tearing them down even from a distance, or are we building people up? And then it asks us to not grieve the Holy Spirit, but instead that we should bring glory to the Holy Spirit. I grew up in a really, really small town, and you didn't get away with anything, right? You, you know the town, you don't get away with anything. I do something, something happened. I had a Gatorade bottle after football practice, stuck it on top of my car, forgot that it was there, was driving across town, not thinking anything about it. Somebody tells me Gatorade's on top of the car. I stop, reach for it, it falls off the top of my car, lands flat on the bottom. I'm amazed. I grab the Gatorade bottle. I drive home. My dad knew about it when I got home. My Gatorade bottle. Like, this is how small my town is. That Yeah, the word travels across town longer than it takes me to travel eight blocks. Like, all of a sudden, but I wonder, like, when my, when my actions, it can be a simple Gatorade bottle. But the way I live my life, like if word gets back that how I'm living doesn't match what my parents know about or they think I'm doing, are they going to be grieved by the way I live because it's not what I've shown them? Or is it going to bring honor and glory to the right name? The same way as we are God's children, we are brought in by him. He doesn't have to have the nosy neighbor watching us from a distance we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, and he knows our actions. And so when, when we do live our lives, is he pleased with the way that we live? Are we living this equally balanced out life that shows what we know is actually what we're living out? So this old self is characterized by bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, malice. And is that what our lives are filled with? Or have we put on this new self where we show kindness to one another, we're tenderhearted and forgiving, as Christ forgave you. And I think that's just, when it stops with that idea that I'm supposed to be forgiving as Christ forgave me, this new self that I've put on, that's my standard that I'm putting on. Is that in my broken state, in the, in the, in the time when I didn't even care that God even existed, when, when I was not living for God whatsoever, I'm marred by the stain of sin, and I'm broken, and I couldn't have even cared less. Romans 5, 8 says that God showed his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for me and you in that state, the broken, while you were still sinner state. Christ died for us. And in the light of God sending Jesus to die for us, to take on our punishment, our sin, and to give us his grace, to allow us to have the freedom in Christ as sons and daughters. We're called to live this life that's different, to put off this old self, to leave it behind and never return to it, to put on the new self. And then now we're kind of maybe sitting in this moment of like allowing God 
to renew us through his word. So together, as a new self, myself, you, we live out this new self corporately, this new humanity. We live this out in a way that should be an example to others around us. So that when they look at us as a Christ follower, a Christian, they would have a clear example of the forgiveness that we have in Christ. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the love that you show us. And I thank you for the love that you showed us even when we didn't deserve it. God, help us to take on this new self. Help us to put away the things of old and, and not just to put it away for, for nothing, but to replace it with the good. To substitute the bad with the good things that, that, that we can have in our lives that, w- that would be an example of you and your love for us. God, I ask that you continue to renew our minds through your word and that we would live wholeheartedly for you. God, we love you and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.